John chapter 13, as we continue our study through John's gospel account. Father, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, as Nehemiah prayed, that you would teach us by your spirit, Lord. We know that your word has been, <laughs> you inspired the writers to write the things that they wrote. I believe that you inspired some of the writers to not write certain things so that others could cover it. Lord, it's your same spirit who dwells within us, Lord. We are born of the spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now shine light upon your word, help us to glean application from our text today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, chapter 13, we kind of entered a, a, a new phase in John's gospel account. Jesus' public ministry, from John's perspective, has ended. Uh, no longer is he going to be preaching to the multitudes, feeding the multitudes, healing, you know, the sick. No longer is that going to happen. At this point in time, he, with his 12 hand-picked men, and there could have been others gathered up there as well, maybe some of the women, they're now in a, a room, an upper room. It's an intimate time between Jesus and the few that he hand-picked. Now, Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He knows he only has a short period of time. In fact, I think I mentioned last week that within 24 hours, Jesus would be hanging upon a cross. Of course, they didn't understand this, but Jesus knew what was coming. And so he spent this time alone with his disciples to teach them, to train them, to prepare them for the things that were coming. And so our text today, obviously, it deals with the parting of Judas. And, um, you know, Judas is an amazing character, isn't he? Judas, I mentioned last week that John tells us more about Judas than any of the other gospel writers. And so Judas, he was with Jesus. We don't know when Jesus picked him. We don't have the account of Judas's calling, but we know that he was picked by, by Jesus. We know that he was with the eleven. So when Jesus sent the 12 out two by two, Judas went out. When Jesus gave the, the disciples, those 12, I almost said apostles, and maybe that would be a better reference. Um, when he sent them out, he, they all had the authority to do what he had given them the authority to do. So in essence, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Judas saw what they saw, Judas heard what they heard, Judas experienced what what they experienced. It's not like Judas was an outsider. Judas was very much a part of what was taking place, and yet Judas did not believe. It's interesting. I've, I've heard, you know, kind of as a young Christian sitting under teaching, I would hear pastors sometimes try to give Judas the benefit of the doubt, that maybe he was um, trying to push things along, you know, uh, he wanted Jesus to set up his kingdom, and so he was just kind of helping that happen. I think that's absolutely foolish based upon what the scriptures teach us. 
We're given a quote. Jesus, in fact, he, he quotes a portion of scripture. He quotes David, King David. And uh, the quotation comes from Psalm 41, verse 9. And, and here it is. Even my familiar friend in whom I trusted, whom ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, you might not remember uh, the setting when David wrote that. Most likely, David, when he wrote this psalm, he was probably thinking of Ahithophel, his counselor, who had betrayed him, betrayed David, and had gone uh, with Absalom in the Absalom Rebellion. And so most likely, that's what Bible scholars believe, that, that David was referring to Ahithophel, this counselor of his. It's interesting, guys. This tells us something right off the bat, and I, I try to point this out quite often. The Bible is prophetic in nature. Um, many times we come across scriptures, you know, and you think, well, there it is. This is what it means. This was the setting. But then we see that same scripture used later on in the New Testament. You realize, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't the full meaning of the thing. That was the partial meaning. David might have wrote these things concerning Ahithophel, but this was prophetic. This was speaking of what Judas would do to Jesus. And there's a lot of scripture like that. It kind of has a near and a far application. When I look at our text, when I consider Judas, this is what causes me to stop and to ponder, and it's this. That a person can be so close to salvation and still be lost. I mean, how close can you get to salvation than, than Judas being as close as he was to Jesus? I, I think, you know, when you look at Judas, um, I was sharing with the first service that we've kind of been tainted, you know, our generation, our culture, because we have things that we think are benefits, you know, they're aids for us. You know, we have, we have things like the Chosen series. I would encourage you to stay away from the Chosen series. I mean, if you, if you are a Bible student, when you watch the Chosen, you're going to have more problems with the Chosen than with your Bible. So go to the source, go to the scriptures. But we have a lot of movies. I think one of the best movies I ever saw, not the acting per se, not the presentation of it, but I thought it was one of the best uh, Jesus movies I ever saw, Tracy and I saw, um, was a movie that did nothing but quote from Luke's gospel. In fact, you could have gone to the theater with your Bible, you could have opened up the scriptures to Luke's gospel account, and you could have read word for word, because they went right from the um, you know, scriptures there. And I thought, well, that's good. My point is this is that we have our Jesus movies, and in the Jesus movies, you know, Judas is, is so obvious, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's a guy, he has the black robe on, and he has the, um, the, the mustache that curls up on the end, and, and he's got bags under his eyes, and he's always in the shadows, and, and as you're watching the Jesus movie, movies, you're thinking to yourself, this is ridiculous, these guys don't even have a clue. You know, I mean, we picked him out right away. We know who the Judas character is. Do you know we have that famous picture 
of the Last Supper from Leonardo da Vinci. Um, someone, when we were in Grass Valley, someone gave the church this giant print of, of that picture and um, they just stuck it in a closet someplace. And when we were moving up here, um, our oldest son, Joshua, was there at the church with me. And one of the assistant pastors, he said, oh, Josh, I've got a present for you. <laughs> and so he pulls out this giant thing. And I'm shaking my head going, no, no, no. And he says, Joshua, do you like this picture? And Josh said, yes, I like that picture, you know. Josh is always kind of like, he's kind of artsy guy, you know. And, and he says, it's yours. This is my gift. And I'm going, But even in that picture, you know who Judas was. Leonardo tells us. He shows us. But you know when you read the scriptures, there's no indication that Judas stood out as being sinister. In fact, just the opposite. And we're going to see that today in, in our text. Judas. Jesus goes on after he quotes from David, Psalm 41, and he speaks of this chain. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. That's the nature of prophecy. You know, you say it before it happens and it happens. And of course, with the word of God, we see that uh, seen over and over and over again. And, and then he goes on, most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So Jesus, in essence, as he's speaking to the 12, he says, you guys are all links in a beautiful chain. Father has sent me. Those who receive me receive Father. I'm sending you. Those who receive you receive me. In receiving me, they receive Father. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a beautiful thing. And I suggest to you that that chain continues, the links of that chain continue to this very day. Are you one of those links? I hope you're one of those links. A representative of Jesus to your world, to your culture, to your sphere of influence. I look at this and I wonder to myself if Jesus wasn't saying, you know, Judas, <laughs> I know what you're going to do, but I want you to understand you're not going to win. This is going to continue. They're like links in a chain. One will lead to the next and to the next, and they all come back to me, and what comes back to me comes back to the Father. I wonder if Jesus was saying, maybe in a veiled way, Judas, I want you, I want you to understand what you're going to be missing out on. You're not going to be a part of this because of the decision that you've made. Now, verse 21, look what it says there. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Uh, this word troubled, this particular word, it's used by John on three different occasions, it might be used more than that, but up to this point, three different occasions. It was used in chapter 11 when Jesus was watching those coming to mourn Lazarus's death. He was troubled. 
And then in John chapter 12, we saw the same world. Jesus was troubled. So Jesus, Jesus is troubled. What's he troubled about? Guys, it's important when we read the scriptures, you know, that we stop and we think about what we're reading. I mean, if we're truly students of the word of God, we want to glean as much as we can from the word of God. It shouldn't be just a chore that we do, you know, I've got to read this chapter, you know. But Jesus, he's troubled. Maybe he was troubled by the hatred and the hardness of heart of Judas. I know that some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute, Dan. It was meant to be. It had to happen this way. Judas was simply playing the role that was predestined for him to play. Hmm. Did he need a Judas? He didn't need a Judas. <laughs> they were on his heels all the time. They could have just put some spies out. They're up in the upper room. I'll let you know when they leave. All right, good. We'll be waiting around the corner, you know. They didn't need a Judas. But we see this fulfillment of scripture. You know, we see David, his experience with Ahithophel. Jesus is the son of David. David is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. We have this parallel. We have these strange things happening in the scripture. Did Judas have a hard heart? Let me read an account for you. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? When did this happen? Well, let me tell you, it happened before what we're reading in John chapter 13. What will you give me? That sounds pretty cold-hearted. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Well, Jesus, he's talking about one of them betraying him. And, and you'll note that um, the, the 12, the disciples, well, they responded. They were perplexed, we're told in verse 22. They looked at one another, perplexed about what he had spoke. Perplexed. The word literally means uh, to have no way out. Excuse me, to be at loss mentally. Maybe it looked like this. What? What? What are you saying? It's interesting that they, <laughs> they never got around to asking that direct question. I mean, Jesus said earlier in John chapter 6, so earlier, that's earlier on in the whole sequence of, of, of things that happen. He says, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? He said that back in chapter 6. You would think that they would, at that point in time, that they would have said, um, Jesus, what do you mean by that? One of, I mean, it's not like you're talking about a multitude. There's 12 of us here. One of us is a devil? What do you mean by that, Lord? And they asked who it was of whom 
You know, guys, I think it's beautiful because we have, um, of course, this picture of John. So John, he likes to give his own personal touch. And, and as we're reading and we see John in, the, in the, the text, he never says, now I or me or that type of thing. He always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. I think that's precious. You know, uh, John, we think he surely is the apostle of love. He mentions love more than any of the others in his gospel. First John, second John, third John, love. He's the love guy. He's the love apostle. We hear that traditionally that John, when he was so old, that they used to bring him and they'd carry him in among the people and he would say to them, beloved, let us love one another. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a beautiful thing. And you kind of picture John in that way. But we have to remember that Jesus had a nickname for John and his brother when they were with him, and that was Sons of Thunder. Sounds like a biker group or something, you know. When I was a kid, we lived around the corner from a family. The guy was a hell's angel. And uh, that, oh man, that was a kick, all the hell's angels. My den mother for my uh, cubs, not cubs, yeah, cub scouts, not boy scouts, cub scouts. Uh, my den mother lived right next door to the hell's angel. And all of us little kids would show up and little boys with our little, you know, thing on and everything. And we would watch the hell's angels, you know, work on their bikes. And, and every now and again, I think just to get a charge out of us, you know, one of the guys would go, and go I mean, this was the 60s, you know. We didn't know too many men that looked like them. Anyway, the point is, is that John, John, well, John tells us in the text, he says, I was sitting really close to Jesus. Do you see it there? You say it does not say that. Oh, it does, though. He lays his head upon his bosom. Obviously, he wasn't sitting <laughs> three men down. He was close enough to lay his head on his bosom. Now, let me go back to da Vinci. You know, uh, guys, his rendering of the Last Supper was not biblically accurate at all. <laughs> you know that. I mean, that's like a snapshot, you know. That's like, uh, okay, everyone look at the camera, click, you know. And uh, we know, and I mentioned it last week in the washing of the disciples' feet, that they would recline around a table. Usually the table would be kind of a U-shaped table. They would recline around the table. They would kind of lie maybe on a shoulder as they're reclining. The tables were low, probably a coffee table height. They would eat out of the common bowls, dipping and eating as they would talk. As one would have his head leaning this way, the other one in front of him, his feet would be behind him, meaning that his chest, his upper body, would be closer to the other fellow's upper body and so on and so forth around the U-shaped table. So, so John is close enough to where Peter, oh, by the way, the scripture tells us that Peter was not 
that close to Jesus. You say, where does it say that? Well, he was far enough away, far enough away to where he motioned to, to John, ask him, who does he speak of? Who's he speaking of? Isn't that interesting? Was he just curious? Or did he want to have a little chat with the betrayer, you know? <laughs> Guys, you know, I'm not playing with you. I'm simply saying, I say it all the time, the Bible is not boring. The Bible is living. It's alive. And if we read it, and if we just sit and ponder what we're reading, there is so much. It's almost as if the Lord, through his spirit, as he inspired the writers of scripture, as they wrote these things, he invites us, generations that would come to faith long after they were all gone, and to say, I want you to experience, I want you to enter in, I want, you, I want you to kind of see what was happening at the time. We don't have every detail that was taking place, but if we, if we pay attention, we could glean so much from the text. Peter, we see from the text, Peter was a man's man. I mean, Peter was a man, a no-nonsense guy. Peter wasn't always right. In fact, he was usually wrong. But, but he said what he felt. He said what he was thinking in the moment, you know. And, and, and you kinda, I kind of picture Peter saying, you know, find out, John, who is he talking about? I'll talk to him. I'll deal with him. Now, some of you, because, you know, we like to pretend that we're more spiritual than we actually are. I'm so I would, no, no, no. These men, you have to understand that the only thing that da Vinci left out of the picture was the halos over their heads. <laughs> Isn't it funny, all the old pictures, the halos over their head? And this is how people picture them. This is why I like to remind people there's only one perfect one in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Everybody else was flesh and blood, and they had their failures and their flesh. And that should give us hope when we read the scriptures. You know, because I'll tell you, if we, if we make them into superheroes rather than men and women who sought after God, we think, oh, there's no hope for us. It's interesting that um, as you look at this whole scenario, you know, they're, they're really perplexed. In fact, that was the response of uh, of the disciples, of the 12, they're perplexed. So Jesus is troubled, they're perplexed. They want to know who he's speaking of. And then verse 26, look at that. It says, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 28, and no one at the table knew for what reason he said, to, said this to him. And then it gives their, their, their various thoughts on the matter. Guys, what do you think of when you read the text? This is what I think of. Jesus says, listen, do I have your attention? Please, please look at me. I'm, I'm Jesus. I will 
show you whom I'm speaking of. The one, <laughs> you get the point. And then he immediately does it. And like, no one sees it. You <laughs> just kind of go, what in the world? Maybe these guys were lame. You know, what in the world? What's going on, guys? Pay attention. Come on, come on. You almost picture, you know, Judas, he throws something in the corner and everyone looks over there and they don't notice it. <laughs> but you know what, guys? I, I think there's something really kind of beautiful here. In fact, I, I, I said that that John obviously was close enough to Jesus to lay his head on his breast. And I would suggest that Judas might have been seated in a place of honor. Judas might have been seated on the other side of, of Jesus. And, and I suggest to you that, that, that John is not telling us that they were so lame that they couldn't figure out, I mean, they couldn't follow what Jesus was saying, even for a moment, you know, they weren't paying attention. I suggest to you that John is telling us something about Judas. That John is telling us that even though this happened, none of us thought of Judas. Maybe John would say, in our opinion, he was beyond approach. Reproach, excuse me. Um, maybe you would say, we, we didn't suspect him. In fact, guys, we know from the other gospel uh, uh, writers that they suspected themselves is it I Lord am I going to do it you know I don't even know what's in my own heart is this what I'm going to end this is this how it's going to end for me I'm going to betray you Lord and they're second guessing themselves but nobody nobody says is it him Lord is it Judas we're always curious about that guy you know, guys, I want you to think about this. I kind of played with you a little bit, set you up a little bit a few moments ago when I said it was predestined. It had to happen. There had to be a Judas. There, you know, Judas had to play his part. And I know that there are some Christians that will look at it that way. But I think of, you know, I think of scriptures like the Lord doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. I think of the fact that that. That Judas, because Jesus knows all things, he's sovereign. There's no surprises for him. But I think of the fact that Jesus, as he, as he dips the bread and he gives it to Judas, was it a prolonged thing? Was it a quick thing? I don't know. Did their eyes catch each other? Uh, was Jesus looking into Judas's eyes and then Judas kind of dropped his head? You know how you feel when you just feel awkward, you've got something in your heart, you know it's not right, and it's hard to look at that person in the eyes. You feel ashamed. Was it something like that? Was it an opportunity for Judas, you know, to repent? Was it, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. You don't have to follow through with this. I don't know. I just think that this relationship that Jesus had with Judas, again, we don't know much about it, but, but we know this, that Jesus gave him the money box. He was in charge of the, the money for that little traveling 
ministering. You know, typically, churches, ministries, you select someone, you select your treasurer, you know, people that are dealing with the money to be trustworthy people. You don't want to give it to crooks. Was Jesus setting him up? Was he playing with him? Does Jesus play with us? Is he setting us up? Was Jesus giving him opportunity? See, guys, these are things we need to ponder. We need to question. I'm pressing this because we live in such a strange time, our culture. We live in a time where it seems like everyone is the victim. It's so strange to me. I'm not to blame. Always pointing your finger at someone else. They're to blame. They did it. It's their fault. This is why I did that. This is what, you know, and, and just this blame game and this, you know, type of thing. And it would have been easy, you know, for Satan to say, I couldn't have, I, I couldn't help myself. The devil made me do it, you know, and, and, and it could have been, you know, legit, you know, the devil entered him at that moment. But that doesn't take into consideration that he had already met with them. He had already set this thing up. This thing was already in motion. You see what I'm saying? Is there a point of no return? There seems to be. Today is the day of salvation. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Because people seem to put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. What happens if there's a point of no return? What happens if there's a point where you now cannot believe? You've just put it off, you've pushed it off, you've kicked it down the road so far that now there is no opportunity. I'm just saying, what if? What if? Keep in mind that the devil, verse 2 of chapter 3, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That had happened already, chapter 13 verse 2 happened before <laughs> chapter 13 and the text that we, we just read, you know, 27. Keep in mind that Judas knew what he was doing and he did it deliberately. Judas was not an unwilling pawn in Satan's hand and neither are we. Sometimes it's sad, you know, we see Christians fall. We see them caught up in sin, uh, you know. And, um, and sometimes the Christian could act as if this was thrust upon them. How did this even happen? How did I get here? How am I addicted to drugs? How am I an alcoholic? How am I addicted to pornography? And it doesn't just happen. I mean, nothing just happens like that. It's something, it's a process. It's we open ourselves up to these things. And, and well, let me read this quote. This is a quote I found from Charles Swindoll, wonderful Bible teacher. Quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, end of quote. That's so true, so true. Judas was a fraud, 
He was a thief. He was an opportunist. This was an opportunity for him to make some more money. You know, I guess what he was stealing from the box, the ministry box, wasn't sufficient. Judas did what was in his heart. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart, doesn't it? The heart is wicked. We say he's got a good heart. The Bible says, no, no one has a good heart. My hearts are wicked. That's why we need a new heart. Uh, the Bible says, like uh, the prophet speaking to the children of Israel, you know, your heart has become like stone. You need it to be so, you need a heart of flesh, you know. Uh, something spiritual needs to happen here. And, uh, and these are things that we need to consider as Christians. You know, if we, if we sit and listen to Bible study, if we sit and read the scriptures, and there's never any conviction... There's never, there's never that personal, and I'm not saying it has to happen in a setting like this. So I, it's amazing to me how the word of God speaks to people. I was talking to a sister after service, and she came up and she was in tears, and she said, oh, that Bible study spoke to me so much. And I said, in which way? How, how did it speak to you? And she shared it with me. And I thought, those are none of the things that I shared but look how the Lord just took that text and spoke to her. That's, that's the nature of the word of God. That's what the word of God does. Judas, he was a thief long before Satan entered him. Judas had heard Jesus say, the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. He heard Jesus say, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born, Matthew chapter 26. He heard that, Judas did, and he responded. He said, Rabbi, is it I? Knowing that it was him. He had already set it up at that point in time. One more thing that kind of jumped out at me from our text. Verse 30. Having received the... Oh, by the way. Do you know that traditionally, for one to take a piece of bread in a setting like this, a, a, you know, a dinner, a meal, to take a bread, piece of bread, to dip it and to hand it to someone was a symbol of kindness or esteem or love. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, it's similar to a toast. Let's raise our glasses too, you know. Maybe that's why even though Jesus said what he said when they saw him do what he did, <laughs> they didn't get it. It didn't, it didn't, it, they just thought, not, not Judas. There's no way he's speaking of Judas. Can't be Judas. We might have missed something. Maybe that's coming later on. But it can't be Judas. But in verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Now, Bible students, you know what's coming. You've read ahead, hopefully. You know that, that um, Peter goes on to deny that he even knew the Lord. He weeps, 
he mourns. Judas regrets that he betrayed the Lord. He weeps, he mourns, he tries to make it right, but not really. Take this money back. We don't, I don't want this money. For him, it was just the money, the money, the money. I give the money back, the whole thing goes away. I think it just rung in his ears when uh, those leaders said, uh, this is blood money. We can't put this back into the coffers. This is blood money. And I imagine it just ringing in his ears. Satan having left him, <laughs> no doubt. Isn't that the nature of Satan? Hey, let's go get high. It'll be fun. We're going to have a good time. And then you're high. Well, where's Satan? Oh, he left. <laughs> He's moved on, sucker. And that's what we feel like, right? Sucker. Oh, Lord. And that was Judas. Oh, Lord. What have I done? There's no return. But it says, having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. You guys come up, Nehemiah, please. And it was night. That spoke to me. What? And it was night. Do you know why it speaks to me? And it was night. Because, guys, one of the themes of John's gospel account is Jesus is the light. One of the themes that has come up a number of times in John's gospel account is light and darkness. And I thought to myself, and it was night. It wasn't just dark outside. It was dark in his heart. It was dark. It's dark. It's still dark for, for Judas. A person could come so close to salvation and still be lost forever. So this is my exhortation to us. Don't just come close. Believe in Jesus. Truly believe in Jesus. I challenge you all the time as your brother in Christ. I know that I challenge. I know that people get sick and tired of my exhortations. I know it. I can see it. I can see it on people's faces. I see it first thing in the morning when we have our ministry morning prayer. On some of the saints, I know they can't handle another exhortation from me. But I do it because I know we need to be exhorted because I know how flaky the body of Christ is today. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Believe in him. Don't just come close. Abide in Jesus. We're going to see that when we get to chapter um, 15. Abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word. What does that look like? You see, guys, listen. Salvation, there shouldn't be this question mark hanging over our heads. Am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. There should be the assurance of our salvation. What are you talking about? The spirit of the living God dwelling in us testifies to our spirit that we belong to him. It's not a false hope. 
You say, well, I don't know that I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. Be in the Word of God. I don't want to be in the Word of God. Then you're quenching the Spirit. Be in the Word of God in prayer, abiding in Christ. I don't really want to do that. It's not of great interest to me. You're quenching the Spirit. You know, guys, it's not this, you know, we say, Paul exhorts us, walk in the Spirit. We're to live in the Spirit. And I think for some of us, we think it's this like abstract thing that the Spirit of God just kind of grabs us by the back of the deck and, okay, let's go for a walk. And it's never like that. It's us seeking Him and waiting upon him and praying to him and seeking direction from him and strength from him and the power that he supplies. And it's truly a life that's, that's, that's lived through him because that's the only life that's pleasing to the Lord. We need to live for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, give us a love for your word. We thank you, Lord. <laughs> for the examples you give us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we're here and we're breathing and we got a heartbeat and we might really be messing up in an area, but there's still hope for us. You tell us to repent, to turn from those things and to turn to you. It's, it's never just a one-way thing, turning from sin. It's always a, a 180, turning from to you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that we do that. We pray that we would be on fire for you like never, ever before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more thing before I One more thing. Last night, I was nostalgic. Is that the right word? I, I don't have the greatest vocabulary. But I was watching and listening to Keith Green. I know that for the younger generation, they kind of go, oh, gosh, you know, there's nothing they like about Keith going because it was kind of a time, you know. But I, I'm listening to him, and I'm looking at his face, and I'm thinking of the impact that he had upon my life in those early days. And I was thinking of the conviction that I would get listening to a Keith Green song because he had a way of doing that to us, that generation. And I was thinking, and I was reminiscing, and my heart was filled with gratitude of God's calling upon my life. And I'm so thankful, though there has never been perfection ever, even close to it in my life, not one moment. I'm so thankful that he kept me. I'm so thankful that all of these years later, he just continues to fan into a flame, a love for him, almost, almost as fresh as that love I had for him when I was 20 years old and I, and I just surrendered my life to him. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm not saying it's because of me, it's because of him. But I know that there's my part and I know that if I don't do my part, my, cold, my heart will grow cold in a moment. And I know if I don't do my part, 
I could easily fold my hands, close my eyes, and slumber. And I don't want to do that. I want to encourage you guys. The Lord has a plan for each of our lives. He's using you. He wants to use you to a greater <laughs> in greater ways. Don't you want that? I mean, there's no greater thing. When we get to heaven, no one's going to give a rip about what job we had or how I worked for this party or that party or how I was a successful or I was a sacrificial. It was, what have you done for Jesus? Enter in, my good and faithful friend. Enter into your rest. Anyway, I'm done. Thank <laughs> you.